0: The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Well, we had um, Sarah spoke this weekend. We had Elaine is here this morning. She spoke this weekend. Jess Connolly spoke. And they, they were all just incredible, the words that they gave and uh, We kind of wanted to keep that going this weekend, so uh, th- this morning, Elaine's husband, Ethan, is here with us, and-, and these guys are part of our Gateway family. If you've been at New Song, you know that we, we came out of we came out of Gateway Church. Pastor Robert is our pastor. What we're, what we're doing in this city, a lot of what you-, you experience in this church is based on what we learned at Gateway Church and the model that we saw there, and so we love this family. We love Pastor Robert. We love Gateway. We love what they've done and been to us in our life. If you don't know a lot about Pastor Robert, you really need to check. Check out Gateway Church, read The Blessed Life, read The God I Never Knew, great books that will help you have a new understanding of who God is and what He really has in store for you. But this morning, we have his uh, his son-in-law, Ethan, is here with us, and I- I've gotten the opportunity this weekend to hang out with Ethan and get to know him a little bit better than I ever did before, and man, I love this guy. He is so awesome. He's so full of the word. He asks a lot of questions, which I always appreciate, uh, and-, and I believe God's got some great things in store for him, and I believe that he's got a great word for us this morning. So here's, here's what I want you to do as a church. I want you to get out your notebooks. I want you to get out your phones. I want you to get ready to take notes. I want you to have an expectant heart. I believe God wants to speak to you today through this word, uh, but, but you play a part in that. So let's, let's take a moment, let's pray, and let's welcome God and let's ask Him to minister to us. Lord, we thank you that this word is not going to fall on deaf ears today. That even though we're going to hear this with our ears, we're going to hear Ethan speaking, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to our hearts and help seal this in our hearts that this will be a landmark day for many of us today. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Would you welcome with me Ethan Fisher?
1: Good morning, new song. How are y'all doing today? Good, good. We are so grateful and honored to be here with you. Uh, Like Pastor Josh said, we are getting to know each other. We got to hang out in California just recently at a pastor's conference, and we got to Really just get to know their heart and just being here and hearing all the stories. Just so you know, they love you. They truly do love you. It's incredible um, for pastors that truly love their people. So I just want to give honor to them. My wife and I, we love you. Give it up for them. I believe that God is going to do big things in this city and even beyond because of their heart to step out and obey him. Well, as he already said, my wife is here with me. My beautiful wife, Elaine, she spoke at the conference, if you can stand up, say hi to everybody, to the people that didn't see here, And we have a picture here of the rest of our family. We left some little ones at home. I mean, seriously, this is how I know God loves me. Our oldest right here, Addie, is four years old. We have Kate right there, and then we, we got a boy. Thank you. We got a boy. Preston's right there in the middle. He is one, and we have one more on the way Hopefully in March, so four and no more. We're done. We've done four, literally, in four and a half years. So for the last little bit, it's just I know my wife from being pregnant, and I know she's ready to hop off that train. So we, we are there, and we're so excited for that. And I also wanted to bring a picture of the rest of my family. Um, as you look at this picture, you can see uh, one of these is not like the other. But here's what I really want to point out. These two, my brother-in-law is right up there. So um, just so you know something about me, I'm from the East Coast, and my wife's family is from East Texas. So what this means is whenever I came into the family, there was a little bit of integration that needed to happen that wasn't there at first. So my brother in laws decided that they would take it upon themselves to bring me into the family. Now, I had never grown up. Once again, I was in the city, never grew up in the country. But one thing that I have now learned to do is hunt. Okay, we have some people. We have, okay, see? See, so I never did that. But they are going to integrate me in, so we go hunting. It was a day set up to go dove hunting. They got me all the gear because I didn't have any. Uh, they got me all the gear. We're set up and ready to go. So, one, they didn't tell me that I had to wake up at 5.30 in the morning because if they would have told me that, I might have changed my mind. But we get up. We're ready to go. And they say, okay, eat Ethan. You just need to know a few things before you go out there. There are many dangerous things out there. So we're going to go out there. You have your flashlight. Obviously, you have your gun. But you need to be careful of the spiders that are out here in West Texas. They're massive. And if they get a hold of you, Ethan, your leg could be gone just like that. And not only for spiders, but you have to be careful for snakes because snakes can be up in the trees. And when you're sitting in your seat, they can drop down and get you. Then not only that. They say there's a hog infestation out here right now, so you got to be careful for hogs because they may just attack you as well. And last but not least, if none of those three get you, you still have to be worried about mountain lions, and they like dark meat. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. See, I still need to get revenge. So I get out there. Literally my first time, we're out there. It's 5.30. We get out there dressed up. They sit in my seat right underneath a tree. Just to mess with me once again, we're going for it, and so I'm scared. I'm going to be honest. I was scared, but I wasn't going to not go out there and not be brave because, like, who? I didn't want them to think who in the world did our sister marry. So I'm going to be brave. Put on a game, put on my game face, and I'm sitting out there. But I have my flashlight, and I sat there, and literally when it was pitch black, and all you could see if this was my flashlight was. And my father-in-law, who didn't know my brother-in-law, told me all this. He's like Ethan. He texted me, Ethan, turn off your flashlight. Why is it on? And I'm like, because I don't want to die today. (laughs) That's the reason why I was quoting Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But that is my integration into this family. So if you have any great ways to get my brother-in-laws back, please let me know. I'm open to feedback. We're seven years in and I still haven't gotten them back. All right, let's jump into the message today. If you're taking notes, the title of the message is Uniquely Qualified. Uniquely Qualified. Now, I enjoy looking at the irony of life. And if you really take a look, there's irony all around. One of the ironies that I recently learned is do you know what the most stolen book in America is? Most stolen book, if you had to take any guesses, is actually the Bible. Which is so random to me. I was like, that's ironic if they look at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal is one of them. So hopefully if they steal it, they read it, and maybe they'll go back and purchase the book. But I actually brought a, a few things to show the irony of life. If We could throw up the first one. You have an alignment shop that's not really in alignment. Go ahead show the next one. The Republican where the news hits home. Literally. Go ahead show the next one. National Association of Telemarkers, and they have their absolutely no soliciting. They deserve it. They deserve it. I don't even know how they got cell phones these days, but they call you nonstop. Next one. TV psychic medium Joe Power canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. (laughs) He should have seen it coming, but didn't we have another one coming up? This one's my favorite one. So spelling test, missed all of those. Number 24 got right illiterate <laughs> which is just funny to me so irony's all around and the reason why I bring this up is cuz we're going to look at a story in Judges chapter 6 if you have your bibles you can turn click there that it just seems very ironic once you read it in judges chapter 6 and read also about it in the new testament in hebrews 11:32 which is known as the hall of faith all the great saints of old that they're, they're known and they're known for their faith and Hebrews 11, 32 says this, thousands of years later, from Judges 6, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon. But if you, as we read Judges 6, I want you to think about this in light of what we're about to read. Because when you think of Gideon, one of the last things that I would call him is a man of faith, but that's what the scriptures say that he is. So... To give a little bit of context, Judges 6, Israel is actually in the promised land. So God had promised the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're finally in the land. They've conquered, but they don't have a king at this time. God is their king. He's ruling over them. And there was this common phrase that you see all throughout the book of Judges. It said, the people did what was right in their own eyes. And as you look at society today, it reminds me a lot of this verse, people are doing what is right in their own eyes and giving no attention and even pushing back against God's word. So Israel would then sin, and then God would send them judges in order to one, judge them, judge their sin, but also to point them back in the right direction. If you heard the story of Samson, Samuel, Deborah, Eli, these are judges that God sent. So let's pick up Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Do 16. We're going to start there. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of hard word, uh, sorry, opera, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abyizer. If I butcher these words, please forgive me. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So there are three ways I want to talk about today that you are uniquely qualified. And the first one is this. You are uniquely qualified to conquer fear. You are uniquely qualified to conquer fear. So as you begin this story... It says the angel of the Lord was just sitting under a tree as Gideon was out here trying to thresh the wheat. But he was doing it in a wine press. But there's something you have to understand about the angel of the Lord is capitalized here. And even later on in the scripture, it says the Lord. So this is actually the pre-incarnate Jesus showing up to him. And he had no idea who he was actually encountering. But he encountered Gideon in a place where they had to hide because if they didn't hide, the Midianites would come and take all of their profit take all of their labor, and leave them starving. So he's in a difficult place and in a place of humiliation because he's afraid. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you're afraid, where you're dealing with fear, where you may have even gone through what's known as a humiliating situation because of the sin that you may have done. But he finds him here, hidden and afraid. And I just think it's interesting what the angel of the Lord said to him. He said mighty hero. Some translations call it mighty man of valor. Okay. One, he doesn't just say hi. If a random guy showed up, I'd expect him to at least say hi, not just just randomly blurt out something about who he thinks I am. But Gideon was a farmer and God is basically saying you're going to be a warrior. And here's the thing that we also, we need to realize is that we see ourselves as what we can be But God sees us as who he made us to be. And there's a big difference between the two. We see ourselves, I have potential. Well, God knows what he puts in you. So he doesn't see just the potential. He actually calls it and he's created you. And he's the one who's put everything that you have in you. So he's speaking to him and saying, you can do this. But Gideon has clearly a lot of questions. And I love this passage because it lets me know that God is not afraid of our questions. So many times we go through hard things and we don't feel like we can be honest with God. And what that does is it actually creates a separation from us, from us and God, and we can't be in relationship with him. But I promise you, God loves your honest prayers. And he's basically, Gideon basically says, why am I here? Where are all the miracles that I've heard about? I've heard about them. Our ancestors did them. We've heard the stories of old, but they're not happening today. And because we don't know why, and because we don't know where the miracles are, our conclusion is that you've abandoned us. In so many times in our lives, if we're not careful, whenever we're in the midst of a difficulty in a situation we don't understand, our conclusion is that God has abandoned us. But as in this story, and even in our own lives today, we have to realize that God does not abandon us. We are as close to God as we want to be. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That is the promise that he has given to us. But God ignores his excuses, distractions in the same way that he would do with us. He's like, okay, whatever. Nice, Gideon. Go with the strength that you have. This is a weird conversation to me because it feels like there's gas, but he's like, just go with the strength that you have. Now, Gideon probably did not think he had any strength. And quickly, he was quick to remind God of his weaknesses instead of allowing God to remind him of his strengths. And so many times we could get into that place where our conclusion leads us to be deceived and we think God is choosing us because of our weaknesses instead of because of who he is and the power that he has. So the next step, he goes even further and says, I am sending you. Now this is very important because there is a difference that we need to realize between the call and the send. The call is not where you receive the power for the assignment. You receive the power for the assignment in the sending. Many people are called. Everyone's here is gifted. God's put gifts on the inside of you. But when a gifting just moves you, we've all heard somebody that's gifted and it just moves us. But when the anointing and the Holy Spirit is on your life, it changes you. And it changes the people that are around you. And that's the difference between just gifting and anointing. So your calling is the what? The sending is the when. But you will not receive the authority and the power from the Holy Spirit unless you yield to his timing, which many times requires patience. One of my least favorite words, yet also a fruit of the Spirit. Tell me how those two go together. But he, had, he was going to have to learn that. So Gideon hears that he's going to be sent and all of his fears and all of his insecurities rise to the top. Which is the same that would happen for most of us if God gave us a daunting task that we did not think we could fulfill on our own. He began to say, I can never do that. I'm the least in my family. And so many times we focus on the lack of what we don't have instead of what God has actually given us. We focus on our lack of education, our lack of experience, our lack of serving. Hey, we're asked to be a leader in the church and we're like, okay, I don't have experience, I'll just sit Step aside, sit on the bench instead of getting in the game and doing what God has actually called for you to do. So don't remind God of your weaknesses when God is trying to remind you of his strength. But let's talk about fear for a second. Just so you know, you are only born with two types of fear. Two, babies. What do they do? They freak out twice, two times. One, when they feel like they're falling. And two, whenever there's loud noises. Only two times. Those are the fears that you were born with, which is sad because here's what that means. Every other fear that we have, we've acquired since birth. And no one here has the same fear as the other person. Well, for the most part, no one here has the same fear as another person. I remember uh, I, I was a pastor of young adults for quite some time, and one of people's greatest fears is public speaking. They actually rather not public. They'd rather die than get in front of people and talk. I don't know why. But well, that was actually number one. And sometimes I realize why, because there's a bunch of people, you're afraid of embarrassing yourself, different things like that. Well, as a young adult pastor, I always try to give young adults a time. so a young adult ministry. I figure, figure young adults should be leading the ministry. So this is one of this guy's first time stepping up. I close the service. We're in altar ministry. God is moving. It's powerful. It's a sacred moment. And he has an announcement to give at the end of the service. And he gets up there and he is supposed to say, we will not be having service next weekend. And in his nervousness, he twists up the words and says, we will not be having sex next weekend. (laughs) So at this time, this second moment, people at the altar, everyone can't stop laughing. So in front of his 800 friends, he embarrasses himself. Face turns just flush red. But it doesn't end there. There's a married guy in the crowd, and he yells out, speak for yourself. (laughs) To which at that time, it was chaotic, it was undignified. (laughs) But it was because of his fear that it led him to this place to say something and do something that he never would have done. But on a serious note, we need to realize that fear is a spirit. And it speaks to us. And here's what it actually does. It uses our God-given imagination and points it towards inevitable misfortune. That's what fear does. It's we're, going to, we're going to the negative side. But it's a spirit that comes on us. But God has given us the power to speak against it. And fear is more dangerous than we think. Because fear always sets limits. Fear sets limits on what you can do. But it also sets limits on what God can do on the inside of you. The world will always tell you to play it safe. The world will always try to limit you from what God has called you to do. But if you can live a fearless life, you can also live a limitless life. And that's what God is calling us to. To do the impossible. Because we serve a God who can do even greater than we can ask, think, or even imagine. So why would we allow fear to limit us from stepping into all that God has for us? So fear is very dangerous. So many people are... They just feel like they're content with this life and getting to heaven. Hey, if I just live this life, get to heaven, then I'm good. But that's not why God put you here on this earth. The only reason you would think like that is because you haven't found something worth fighting for. Think about this for a second. Jesus actually left heaven, came to this earth, lived among men. We killed him, lived the life that we were supposed to live. We killed him, and then he was raised from the dead. But it's because he found something worth fighting for, and that was you and me because he loved us. Let me tell you something. He also then commissioned us to live and do the same thing, to go into all the world, not to sit comfortable and not to just rest and sit back because fear finds its rest and comfort. Psalm 27.1 says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. Why should I tremble? One of the greatest promises that God can ever give you is that he will be with you. God's presence is what sets us apart. Exodus 33, Moses talks about it. He basically says, if if you're not going with us, I'm not moving. And that needs to be our attitude today. God, if you're not going with me, I'm not going anywhere. It may be a good idea, but it may not be a God idea. So if you're not in this, I want no part of it. That's what wisdom says, but fear, here's what it will tell us. Fear will make us decline a seat at God's table for what he's called us to do. And many people here, and even at times myself, I've declined a seat at the table that God has already prepared for me because of fear and said no instead of saying yes to God. I've struggled with fear a lot of my life. With my upbringing, the way that I grew up, I struggled with fear all the time. But then I found this quote, and I, it felt like it was for me. And it said, if you shy away from doing something because of a fear of rejection, you've already rejected yourself. And so many times we come to that place where we're rejecting ourselves when God has already accepted us. His love is what casts out fear. That's what casts out fear, and God loves you. He's given his life for you for us to be in relationship with him. So all of us here are uniquely qualified to conquer fear. And the second thing we're uniquely qualified to do is to remove idols, to remove idols. Judges six twenty two through 27 says this, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, "O oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right. The Lord replied, do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains an opera in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. That night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut it down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull of the burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down because God is gangster like that. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of this town. One, I feel like this is interesting because he didn't realize who he was talking to. And the question I have for myself and the question I have for us today is if Jesus were to show up in this room, would we recognize him? And I want you to be careful before you say yes, because many times Jesus can surprise us with the way that he would live and the way things that he would do. The Pharisees. Some of the most educated, the leaders of that that day, they knew the Old Testament front and back. They memorized the whole thing. So they know probably slightly more about the Bible than we do. And they missed him and even take it a step further, they actually killed him. So he doesn't realize, but once he realizes that God wanted an encounter with him and it wasn't to cause harm, it wasn't to cause wrath and not to punish him, the whole situation changes. This is the first time Gideon actually believed the word of the Lord. And he sets up an altar and calls it Yahweh Shalom, which means peace. And I know y'all just learned about that a couple of weeks ago. It's a great message. If you haven't heard it, go back, listen to it. Listen to it. It was great. But here's the thing we need to realize about God. That God has to give us peace. We have to come in relationship with him to receive peace before he sends us out to war. We have to... Have relationship and peace with him. And if you do not think you're in a war, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So hopefully you realize that you are in a war. But I think it was interesting that God actually called Gideon not to tear down an altar he had made, but to tear down his father's altars. It was just interesting to me because here's what he's saying, that God and this idol will not live next to each other. But that also you are uniquely qualified to remove the idols that are in your family, even if they aren't there by your choice. So some of us in this place today need to realize that we are called to remove the idols of lust. We are called to remove the idols of anger. We are called to remove the idols of bitterness, divorce, adultery, whatever it may be that may have been in our family for years and passed down from generation to generation. You are uniquely qualified to remove those idols and to set God's standard in that place. And I hope you realize that because the boldness that it takes and the courage that it takes has to come from him. But this was Gideon's test of obedience. And you will not be uniquely qualified if you don't obey God. Because he always starts with your house first. He'll always make it personal. Because public power comes from private transformation. If you're not willing to get with God in private, do not expect him to promote you in the public. Because he wants to use you. But he has to first change you. you. There has to be a relationship with him. See, Baal this time was the God that they served because he was supposed to be in control of the weather. He was supposed to be their provision, their source. But idols will always tell you something, but they're constantly lying to you. Here's what idols are, actually. Idols are God's substitutes. And here's how you know if it's an idol in your life. When you lose a good thing, you're typically sad. But when you lose an idol, it devastates you. And some people have lost a relationship that they've been trying to hold on to, and it's devastating them. Some people have lost a job, some people have lost money, and it's devastating. And that's how you can tell when it's an idol. And it's no longer the same time where he had to cut it down, it was physical, but it also had a spiritual implication. We don't have idols that are just sitting here that you go home and just worship, at least I hope not. So, but they're lost in our hearts, which is what this means, is that it's actually more difficult to see the idols that we've erected in our heart that are keeping us from being in relationship with God. Our opinions, to me, is actually one of the greatest idols of this generation. And here's a problem with opinions. If, you, if your opinion becomes an idol, then you become immune to correction. And that's really the biggest problem. You become immune to any correction that God wants to give. And we even have this saying, You are entitled to your opinion. Think about that for a second. You're entitled to your opinion. But here's the problem with entitlement. Entitlement always turns blessings into demands. And people who are entitled are never grateful. My daughter, we're teaching her, we're walking through some things with her. She is a very opinionated four-year-old. Don't know where she got it from. Neither me and my wife are opinionated at all. But she has that trait, maybe from her grandmother, grandfather, I don't know which side. But she gave her opinion. We're around the, the living room, and she said, Man, she's rubbing her brother, Preston. He has a hair full of, hair full of head, full of hair. That's what I'm, the word I'm looking for. And she's rubbing, rubbing his head. It's like, Preston, you are so handsome. And my wife goes, Hey, Addie, isn't daddy handsome too? thinking I'm going to be encouraged, this is going to be an awesome time, we're going to bond right here, father-daughter bond. And she says, no, of course not. So I'm like, okay, we're going to have to train her up. (laughs) So my wife asked her why, and she says, because daddy doesn't have any hair. And if you're a guy and you don't have hair, then you're not handsome. So I'm sorry for all the fellows in here that are follically challenged, but we're going to make it. Bald heads are great. So we tell her nowadays to keep her opinion to herself. I'm just kidding. We would never do that most of the time. But our opinions truly can be dangerous if they become an idol. But I want to tell you something. Here's who loves to be corrected, wise people. Wise people love to be corrected because they realize that correction equals love. And if God actually doesn't correct you, that means he doesn't love you. So if you can't receive correction, then you won't be able to fully receive the love of God because there are times that God is going to come into your life and he's going to correct you in order to be able to move you forward. Proverbs 12.1, one of my favorite verses is because I get to call people stupid, which I rarely get to do as a pastor. It's not really my heart, but here's what it says. He who hates correction is stupid. And I know no one in here wants to be called stupid. But Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says if you don't like correction, you won't, you're stupid, basically. But I want to tell everybody in here this morning that your purpose and the calling of God on your life is too important for you not to be teachable. It's not enough to just come in here. We have to also step out and do, be teachable, sit under good teaching. Sit under people, allow them to correct you. I promise you, one of my, some of my favorite moments are when I'm corrected because it lets me know there's something else in me that I can get to the next level and what God is calling for me to do. And just know that every single time God wants to start a move, and I believe that what God is doing here is going to start a move in this city. But in order for that to happen, whenever God moves, there's a break in the normal pattern. There's a break in the normal pattern. So whenever God comes and tells you, hey, I'm about to do something new, expect it not to be normal. Because you can't have new and normal all at the same time. But the question that is going to be posed to you, and I want to submit this to you today, is are you going to live a life of convenience or conviction? You have a choice between the two. Convenience is more about your comfort, but conviction is more about obedience and following everything that God has desired for your life. And you're going to have a choice on a consistent basis because in America we have Honestly, thousands of things that can make it comfortable, but I want to tell you today, don't settle just for your preferences of convenience when God has called you to live a life of conviction, and here's why it's so important, and we need to realize this, because a person of conviction is never moved and at the mercy of circumstances. A person of conviction is never at the mercy of circumstances. If you're convicted that God is good, no matter what your circumstances are telling you, you're holding on to the promise. When you feel like God has abandoned you, your circumstances are telling you that you can hold on to the promise that he promised he would never leave you or forsake you. Those are the convictions that we must have in order for God to send us. But the things that hold us back are our traditions. We get stuck in a rut when God wants to break in a new pattern in our life. And if your tradition is going to dictate your direction, it will always only be about protection of the past, but you will never have growth. You will never have growth if it's just about tradition. Yeah, we get up, we go to church. This is what my family did. This is what we're going to do. This is what my my kids are going to do. It has to be about more. You have to come into God's presence and encounter a living God because he is living. You have to read his word because it is living and active and has the power to change your life. But we have to remove the idols. I'm a very competitive person. Don't know if you can tell. Um, My wife is actually very competitive too. We learned this. I always tell, once again, I work young adults, and I always tell single people, before you get married, you need to play catchphrase at least one time with your potential spouse. (laughs) Catchphrase brings out the worst of people, I'm just telling you. Guys typically win, which is why, but whatever. We're not going to go there. But my parents were in the Air Force, so we traveled a lot. And we had a long layover as we were coming back to America. And so I'm bored. I'm one of five kids. So we're like, we need to find something to do in this airport. So there are escalators in airports. So we decided to have a little competition to see who could sit on the escalator the longest. Yeah. I came up with it all by myself. It was great. (laughs) So every one of them go, because I make them go first, because I'm going to let them know I'm going to win. I just, I'm going to go the extra mile and show them what it's like to be a winner because I'm a winner so I go down the escalator and I don't get up until I hit the very bottom so just so you know I won but at the same time I also lost the backside of my pants literally the whole backside ripped off went under the escalator and now I'm just feeling a draft it's a true story I promise you and I'm exposed to the world, so my mom runs, gets a sweater, ties it around my waist. True story, I promise you. But this is what it's like whenever you have an idol in your life and you don't take care of it. Because it leaves you exposed to the attacks of the enemy, and you'll never be able to, to back him off of it. Because you're exposed. So it's time for us to remove the idols in our lives in order for God to do a change for us. So that's the second thing you uniquely qualified, to remove idols. Here's the third, to restore glory. And I'm not going to read this part. It's Judges 7, 2-4, 2-4, 2-4, and then verse 7. But basically, the God tells puts out a fleece. It's an incredible story if you haven't read it before. Judges 6 and 7, the work that God does is incredible. But Gideon is set to go out in the battle. And he calls people. They're about to go up against the Midianite army. And they've got other armies, 135 to 185,000 people, give or take a few. And Gideon's able to get a respectable number of about 32,000, which is a good number. Hey, it's still the odds aren't in your favor, but you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And God says you have too many, which if I were him, I would be like, okay, I don't know if you're good at math, God, but so 185 is a lot more than 32,000. So I don't know how we're going to have too many. I just want to read one verse, Judges 7-2, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to get the nights into your hand. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hands have saved me. That's the reason why 32,000 was too many, because he knew who he was dealing with. It's, here's, the, here's the reality. We have a saying in Texas, everything is bigger in Texas go Cowboys. Everything's bigger in Texas, but the reality is in the kingdom of God, bigger is not always necessarily better. If it causes us to receive glory instead of pointing to the glorious one, then it's not better to be bigger. So he whittles them down from 32,000. He's basically like, is anybody in here scared to go fight all these people? Anyone? And 22,000 leave. Like, getting his best friends were probably leaving them. It's like, bro, I thought we were in this together. Like, what is going on? But here's the truth that you need to realize. In order to fulfill God's call, there are some people that aren't going to be around because they're afraid to step into what God is calling you to step into. So many are afraid of losing the wrong people. And here's the truth. I'd be more afraid of keeping them. Because the chaos and the toxicity that would come into your life. But God says 10,000 is still too many. So basically, he whittles it down. God tests them, and they get down the 300 people, a small number of people. And here's why I believe that God did that, because the, he wanted the odds to be so stacked against him that only God could get the glory. And in our lives, many times, he uses what seems to be insignificant to do significant things. And it's no, it doesn't matter where you start, but I believe that even here, In Oklahoma City, what God is starting through New Song Church is something that is really going to revolutionize and change the world, change this area, change the city, change people's homes, change people's lives, change people's marriages. But it's not going to be done because you guys are so great or Pastor Josh is so great. It's going to be done by the power and the spirit of the Lord. It's not by my, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And God is the one who will receive all of the glory. We cannot have the glory misplaced. But if we ever say, my hands have done this, I've accomplished this. This is, this is, this is my idea. I thought it through, and everything came out exactly what it was supposed to. But God's hand wasn't necessarily on it, and it's not blessed. You may have success, but it's not something that's going to be significant. There was a well-known preacher back in the day, John Wimber, and he was a phenomenal preacher. And one day... One of the people who were in the congregation came up to him and said, that was a phenomenal message. We loved it. I just wanted to come up and tell you that. And here's what he said to him. And I feel like this is an attitude that even I want to have. This attitude that we should have, even as a church body, is that I'll receive the encouragement, is what he said. But I'll send the glory on. I'll receive the encouragement because the Christian life is not without effort. It's without earning. The big difference we give effort. He said, I'll receive the encouragement. I'm going to send the glory. And that's how we have to live our lives. Colossians one twenty seven says this. To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I hope that you realize tonight that you have the hope of the world if you're a follower of Jesus Christ living on the inside of you. You have hope. This world is starved for hope. Gideon was a part of restoring glory back to the nation of Israel. But not under his own power, not under his own strength. The battle was actually won by the Lord. And all he had to do was shout. Hit some pitchers, Wave up fire. Which is the worst strategy to win a war ever. Right? And God destroys them. And they win. And Gideon actually gets some of the, the credit. But it was all God and his glory. But I want to tell you something. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus faced a battle that we were supposed to face. Not something that we could have even done on our own because we can't live a perfect life. It's not about being good. It's about being perfect. And Jesus is the perfect, sinless one. So it can't be something that we're going to fulfill and do on our own. And we have to come to the place where we realize that. Where our lives reflect him and realize that he has uniquely qualified us to do something. To conquer fear, to remove idols, to reflect his glory to this world that is starving of hope because of what's and who is on the inside of us. In my own personal life, I feel like God uniquely qualified me for something. Obviously, I feel like he's called us, me and my wife, to preach and all those different things. But one of the most important things happens in private. I didn't grow up in a home with two parents. Grew have been a single-parent family, home very poor in poverty. Drugs all around me. Gangs all around me. We could go down the line. And I never saw what it was like to be a good husband. Or to be a good father. To be told, I felt unqualified. Disqualified would be the better word. To be a, a good husband and a good father. Because I had never seen it. I tried to learn. And I, and I made effort as much as I can, could to do it. And have been imperfect in it. Believe me. I made many mistakes. But one day, our kids are in preschool. My daughter comes home. With some troubling news, came became great, and my, my wife was asking Addie, hey, how did your day go? And she's like, oh, it was good. I asked somebody to marry me. To Rich, I replied, we're pulling her out of school, and I'm going to deal with this boy. He's taken care of. Don't worry. But she was like, okay, well, we don't do that, and we closer through things. But we, at the end of it, my wife asked her, so why did you ask him to marry you? And she said something that hit me pretty hard. She was like, well, you and daddy are married and you're best friends. And I also wanted to have a best friend. Now, as a husband and as a father who has been very imperfect, I believe that God has uniquely qualified me to redeem the legacy that my father may have lost And to bring God's glory into my family's life and change history. To remove the idols that were there before. To remove the abandonment. To remove the lust. All these different things. I'm uniquely qualified. But I wonder in here today, what is your story? What is your story? Many times of pain, of hardship, things you never thought you could go through and even get through. But you made it through because God was with you. But you haven't told the story yet, but there are people that are all around you where you are uniquely qualified to speak into their life. And imagine if everyone in here stepped up to the call to conquer their fears, to remove the idols in their lives, in their families' lives, to remove the idols in this city. What difference would it make? I dare to say that we could change the world from this place. And what God wants to do. So let's step up. Let's be obedient. Let's live lives of conviction. Lives that will ultimately reflect God's glory to this world. And have more and more people come into the kingdom of God. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And if you're on the altar ministry team, go ahead and come up here. And at the end of... Every service here, we have a time where we respond. And we ask this question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And if you're new here to a new song, you may just ask, hey, what am I thinking right now? But we want you to come down and receive prayer. We we all need prayer sometime or another. We should never be embarrassed to come down for prayer. So if you need prayer, after I pray, we're all going to stand together and go into one more song of worship. But if you need prayer... Please come down to one of the people here. We want to have the opportunity to pray with you, to join our faith with you. So come down now, no matter what it is, but especially if today you don't know God. You're struggling with fear, idols in your life, and you want God to move there and bring his presence. Please come down. So, Father, right now, I pray that you would draw every single person that needs prayers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.